I'm going to pray and we're going to get started. Lord Jesus, thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Jesus, uh, we ask you to be here. And you have promised that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you will be in our midst. So we believe that promise right now. And we ask that that would be true. And that you would bless us so that we would be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to 1 plus 1 equals 1. Uh, this is the first time that we've done this, and this is the first time I've done something in this kind of fashion in many years. Uh, the intention is that we're going to have the next four weeks in a Sunday school class format that meets in small group-ish tables. And so that's what we're doing right now. We plan on having, uh, looking at a passage and then having some discussion at your tables, and then we'll all come back together and talk about that together as a group. We are here because we want to image God well. You are created in the image of God. That's just a fact. And because of our marriage, we, in a particular way, image forth God as a community. And that is part of his plan for us. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to cover four broad topics. This morning, we're going to look at the good news and marriage. Next week, we're going to look at communication in marriage. And then we're going to talk about forgiveness in marriage. Does anybody need to forgive in their marriage? Just out of curiosity. And then the last week, we're going to look at purpose in marriage. And during these four weeks, we're going to be talking about what it looks like uh, to have these various aspects alive and well in our marriage. So stay tuned. So as I said, we're going to develop some points together, and then we're going to, you are going to discuss them in your small groups. The big idea for today is bet your life on your living hope. This is part of what I hope you're going to be discussing at your small groups. Bet your life on your living hope. We're going to look at that today in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 9, which you have on your sheets in front of you. But before we get there, I want to talk about the tenses of salvation. I want to talk about how salvation exists in multiple tenses. Right there on your notes at the top of the page, God saved us from the penalty of sin. God is saving us from the power of sin. And God will save us from the presence of sin. So I have a question. Did God save you merely to forgive you for your sins? Is salvation merely about forgiveness or is there an aspect of your salvation that has to do with a right relationship with God lived every single day right now? Do you think, do you believe, do you believe that God wants you to have forgiveness, or to, excuse me, to live in victory over the problems that plague your marriage? I'm just curious. Show of hands, do you believe that God wants you to have victory over the problems in your marriage? Now, okay, another question. Do you believe that God is able to give you victory over the problems in your marriage? 
This is what the gospel is about. This is what the gospel is about. Are there promises in Scripture that if you turn to them and you believe them, you can experience victory in your struggles in your marriage? And the answer is, of course there are. This is the essence of what it means to be a Christian. Now, what you have to do if you're going to experience that is you're going to have to bet your life on your living hope. You're going to have to bet your life. You're going to have to live your life as if you have a living hope alive and well for you and with you and in you and through you for others as well. But let's get down to brass tacks. What is the good news? The good news begins with the bad news. You are a sinner. You have willingly chosen to spurn the love of God. You have willingly chosen to spurn the love of your spouse. Ouch. The good news begins with the bad news. The bad news continues. God's wrath. Now what is God's wrath? God's wrath is his steady, unwavering hatred of everything that stands in the way of him and his creation. God's wrath is his steady, unwavering hatred of everything that stands between him and his beloved creature. You, created in his image. And because you, of your sin, you are subject to his wrath. The good news picks up right where the bad news left off. God the Father and God the Son provided a means of absorbing that wrath by God the Father pouring out that wrath on his Son. What does that have to do with the price of tea in China? Well, you see, what happened is, for everyone who would receive this gift, for everyone who would believe the promises of God for them in Christ... God took his wrath, as it were, and poured it out as if it were in a bucket on Jesus hanging on the cross so that he absorbed the wrath for every single sin of every single person who would ever trust his promises to do so. And if you trust him, then you are no longer subject to his wrath. Now, the part that we're going to emphasize today is that God the Spirit then imparts this blessing on anyone who receives it. Anyone who says, thank you, Jesus. Anyone who says, yes, I would like that. But let me emphasize, the good news does not end at the forgiveness of your sins. The good news continues and is in your life right now, working in you and through you and for you so that you can, for example, love your spouse when they have bad breath in the morning, when they don't meet your expectations or do what you want them to do. Your God is still with you. You can bet your life on your living hope. So right now, what we're going to do is you have some notes in front of you, and you're going to begin looking at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. 
and you have some questions there. And in a few minutes, I will come back up here and we will talk about what this looks like. So discuss in your group, please. And God, I pray that you would enable us to hear your voice this morning, speaking to us through your word, for your glory, for our joy, and for the growth of your kingdom. Amen. All right, let me bring us together. So, so I, I want to know, what did you guys come up with in answer to the question, who is it who is responsible for these tenses of salvation? Pastor oh, Pastor, <laughs> you are in trouble, man. Who is? Who is responsible? God. God is, right? He has caused us to be born again, and it is his power who is guarding us. I need to hear an amen for that. Amen. amen. How many of you guys have woken up on the wrong side of the bed and let your spouse know it? This week. <laughs> this morning. No, not this morning for me, because I get out of bed way before she does on Sunday. Who or what is this living hope that Peter is talking about here? Look at your text. It's the resurrection of Jesus. And it is true, Cindy. Who is the one res being resurrected? Who is the one resurrecting? Jesus Christ. There we go. Amen. So I have a question. I have a question. While you're sitting there or standing there doing one of these in front of your spouse, anybody been there? Yep. While you're doing that, how would your perspective be changed if you were instead thinking about the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again? How would that change your perspective of that moment? I want to know an answer. I would say, great. Glad Jesus Christ again because I don't want to deal with you. Amen. <laughs> she just doesn't want to deal with me. I come over to her house to bring her eggs and she shuts that door. No. Ain't going to happen. Amen. We have a living hope. And as I said a moment ago, our living hope is not just that our sins are forgiven. There's something else. And that something else is what he is doing in us and through us and for us right now. So I want you guys in your group to talk about verses 6 and 7 and discuss those three questions I have in front of you. Please. Let me call us back together. When I was, when I was thinking about this uh, earlier, this whole tested genuineness of your faith, I was, I was thinking of, of examples of things that 
I have to test before I put my faith in them. And the example that comes most easily to mind is yesterday I was fixing my son's brakes, and of course, spilling brake fluid all over the garage floor wasn't a good sign that I was doing it correctly. Anybody, anybody identify with that? But actually, Donna came up with a better example. Not that I'm surprised, but I told her, I am going to totally steal this. The, a good example of this is a recipe. Because you can get a recipe from somebody that you respect. This person is a great cook. But until you try it yourself to see that you can do this recipe well, it's still an experiment. Right? Now, I'm that guy. I, I take a hit for anybody around. I will take that. I will try the recipe. I will eat it. I, you know, just I'm that kind of guy. I want to be nice to people and make sure it's not poison. Any guys with me here in the room? Listen, you can put your trust in the promises of God. That recipe is perfect. That auto mechanic is perfect. And you can put your hope in the Lord. In fact, I'm going to ask Carl and Daniil to come up, and they're going to give a testimony of their life, how they have seen God and his promises work in their marriages. on it is is it all right let me pray first god we thank you for this opportunity you've given to us to be together here this morning and i pray as neil and i share that you just uh guide us to share the things you put upon our heart god in jesus name i pray amen you get to open oh, goody well i'm daniel and this is carl and we've been married for 47 years uh <laughs> obviously we're in our 60s, but we won't exactly say where. Okay, got it. All right. Well, first I want to give you a little idea about uh, what our family looks like. We've been married 47 years. We have three daughters. Our uh, firstborn, Jennifer, uh, lives here in Santa Maria with her husband. Our secondborn, Dawn, is living in Bakersfield with her husband with our three granddaughters. The oldest one, who is 20, was just baptized this morning in Bakersfield, and I, the streaming stopped just as I was watching it. <laughs> she goes, I'm 20 years old. Stop. Oh. So anyway, and then our second one um, just returned from Uganda on a six-week missions uh, tour with um, Mercy Children, and the youngest one is going to be a senior in high school. And then our third daughter who came to us when she was 13, Bellin, has a six-year-old daughter, and they live in Phoenix. But obviously this morning, that was a really quick review of our family, uh, we're going to have to gloss very quickly over a few years of our marriage just to give you an idea of how God has really been working in our lives. But marriage is not easy, especially on this side of the fall. And so marriage will never be easy. So if you can say that your family isn't, I mean your marriage isn't perfect, then welcome to the club. We're all in it together. So what might, is the secret to keeping our marriage chugging along, you might ask? Well, very simply stated, it is Jesus. But because we do live in this fallen world, even Christian marriages struggle. And within these struggles, if we allow Jesus into the struggle, 
He can use that struggle to refine, to perfect us, just through his grace and his love and his mercy towards us. So we pray this morning that as you listen to us, that you will keep that in mind, that we um, have been experiencing God's love, grace, and mercy throughout our lives. And sometimes we have really allowed Jesus in, and other times we have definitely left Jesus out. So Carl, your turn. Uh, early in our marriage, I was not a believer. And uh, as Daniel said, we had a couple of kids and uh, there's a lot of friction because uh, I had found the love of motorcycles. I was over in Taft and working with a bunch of young engineers, all had families, but we also all had motorcycles. And you, if you've been through Taft, you know you can ride dirt bikes forever out there. And I'd gotten into it in a big way, and even though I couldn't afford it at the time because I just got out of college, I bought a 360 Yamaha DT yellow. Oh, it was so much fun. Uh, and... Daniil was not real happy with me because I think I spent about 500 bucks on it. And at the time, it was a lot of money. Um, and so Daniil at the time was taking the kids, going to church in the mornings on Sunday. I'd go ride dirt bikes with my friends, and I did that every weekend. If you've ever seen the, on any Sunday, you know that's what people do. If you ride dirt bikes, you ride Sundays. Saturday doesn't seem to be a big day. And so I would come home from riding, and it got to the point where in my uh, – mature opinion I was being nagged and it was I was getting home and and it was and so as I said because I wasn't a real mature individual I came home one Sunday not proud of this but uh, she got on me really hard in my opinion and I remember saying to her I actually said this I said get over it I said you can take the kids and leave the motorcycle stays and I was serious that's the scary part I was just dead serious. Uh, I'd gotten to the point where I, I'd broke. I said I'd had enough of it. I didn't want to hear her nag anymore. And folks were still married, so something happened. And I'll leave it to Daniel to start that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to back this up just a little bit. I am the oldest of seven children. We lived in a normal four-bedroom house here in Santa Maria. And when I turned 18, I decided that maybe that house is feeling a little small, and I moved out with some of my girlfriends. Well, my mom and dad were great, but I figured that I could take care of myself, so I trusted in myself. At 19, I found myself pregnant and mar married Carl. So I began to trust him also. At 20, I found myself a mother. Oh, now what? <laughs> At 21, I realized that I couldn't trust myself, and I couldn't trust Carl, so I became a seeker. But I wasn't really sure what I was seeking in. And, but what I realize now is that actually God was pursuing me. So at 22, after the birth of our second child, I began to trust Jesus, and I have never gone back. So how did I find Jesus? By moving three times. <laughs> he was pursuing. We lived in San Luis Obispo while he was at Cal Poly. We moved to Bakersfield, where the a little apartment behind us, uh, there was a gentleman living there, and he was a Jehovah Witness, and he scared me to death. And then we moved to Taft. And in Taft, there is a perfect division of those who have and those who have not because there are as many bars as there were churches at that time. And 
I came to know Jesus while we lived in Taft. And what happened was a group of girlfriends decided that we were going to play tennis, and we were playing tennis and having really a great time. And finally, one of them said, hey, why don't you come to this brand new club that's just starting in this area? And I go, wow, sounds interesting. I mean, I'm stuck with two kids in the house all the time. I'd really like to get out. She said, well, it's called the Christian Women's Club. And at first it was like, oh, I don't know. Uh, maybe another time. She comes back to me the next month. I go, okay, I'll go. It's, it sounds kind of interesting. And so I, I went with her, and in that meeting, I realized that I had found what I was seeking. I needed Jesus. And so from then, I just really started to, to study scripture with these group of women and started going to our local church. So after Carl's pronouncement to me that I was welcome to move on, I realized that I needed to have some changes made in my life. But the first change needed to really be with me. It was not him. It was me. Because I did realize that I was nagging a, a little bit. <laughs> Maybe not quite as much as he saw it. it but I, I had to agree that I was, and only Jesus was going to help me in that. But as I was studying scripture, I, scripture, I came, came across 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of their lives. So to place this into historical context when we think about us, this was the 70s, people. This was the early years of the women's movement. And to have the word submission or any word kind of associated with submission was looked on very unkindly. Yet I was desperate. I loved my husband. I loved Carl, and I was willing to do anything to save our marriage, even if it meant to submit. And I did so with the Lord's help. Now, initially, Carl must have thought he had hit the holy jackpot and had found himself a Stepford wife. <laughs> now, if you're not familiar with that, that is a cult classic from the 1970s where husbands were having their wives turned into robots. But my true desire was to have Carl come to know the Jesus that I knew and that he would come to faith soon. And so my attitude, and with the help of the Lord, my heart did change. My behaviors changed. And then I should step aside and let Carl take over now. Stepford wife, I love it. That's good. Came home from riding one Sunday. She met me at the back door. How was your day, honey? Did you have a nice ride? I mean, it was that, that different, that different. And I, and I saw the change in my wife. I mean, she just became more loving, more kind. The nagging stopped. It, it didn't change me right away, but over the course of time, I began to go to church with her. And, and, and through that experience of watching my wife change, she changed me, and I was able to come to faith in Christ at, at a later time. Uh, but the purpose of this class is to, to answer the question, how has my coming to faith in Christ, how has he changed me and helped our marriage? How has what he's done in my life made our marriage better? And I... I go to the verse John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Now, how do, in principle, well, that's great, but how, how does that work out in a married life? Well, first, like I've said, I, I love motorcycles, and to, folks, I could be out riding today. I really could. 
and it wouldn't bother me. I, 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 could, I could be out riding with my friends because that's what they're doing. But uh, um, I don't. And the reason is because I love my wife and I love Christ. And unfortunately, they do church on Sundays. So <laughs> I come to church. Um, but I would gladly lay down my life for my wife. Every man in this room can say the same thing. You'd take the bullet, right? If there was somebody breaking into your house, you, you step forward and you take the hit. Why? Because you love her and you'd lay your life down. Now, the opportunity to do that is, is minimal. That's not going to happen very often in this world, thank God. We don't have to really take the bullet. But um, how do I have an opportunity to lay down my life? For my, well, what's my life made up of? Hours, days, weeks, months, right? Time. That's it. God has allotted me a certain amount of time in this life. And I have a choice of how I spend that time. I could spend it riding my motorcycle, which, again, I could do today if I wanted to. Or I can spend it loving my wife and spending time with her. And so um, I've looked at it as laying down my life for her. The practical application of that is that I need to think of Daniil more important than my own personal wants, needs, and desires. And I've been able to do that through the love of Christ. He's, he's shown me that to love my wife means I've got to spend time with her. And if that means that on a Sunday or a Saturday I spend time in the yard putzing around, cleaning things up, and doing honeydews, then that's what I'm going to do. If that's what's needed to, to show my love for my wife, then I'm going to do that. And it took me, folks, it didn't happen overnight, believe me. She can, it, it took time to learn that and, and to make a better choice. And, and most of the time I've made that choice. Now, there's a fine line there because she has spent many, many weekends alone while I've been out riding my bike. And I, it's a fine line you have to walk because women, you, you do have to allow your husband to do the things he loves because, you know, you, you can't just give up everything. Um, and so Daniil has graciously allowed me to continue to ride. And, and, and she loves it when I come home hurt because I think every injury I've ever had has been because of a dirt bike. But <laughs> broken leg, I, we, we won't go to that. Yeah, we, we don't have to go to that. The key to the whole thing is, is that my faith in Christ has allowed me to put my wife first in all things, and it has helped our marriage immensely. And so I thank God for that. And I'll leave it to you to finish up. All righty. So how has Jesus continued to change me in our marriage? There have been many verses in my life that have given me strength and comfort, but Philippians 4, 7, uh, 4 through 7 have probably been my go-to verses most of the time. And that's because these few verses really encompass a lot of, of the Christian life. It says, Let your um, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. To break that down very briefly, rejoice in the Lord always, I say it again, rejoice. Focused joy in the Lord begets more joy. It's as simple as that. Let your gentleness be evident to all. In the ESV version, the, um, the word gentleness, they use reasonableness. So I have to ask myself, am I being thoughtful or am I being argumentative? This is so convicting. 
Gentleness can mean reasonableness. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So prayer and thankfulness is an antidote to worry and anxiety. And the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. To lay our burdens on Jesus, giving them up, will guard our hearts from worry and give us peace that is beyond measure. So lastly, one of the blessed aspects of our marriage to me is knowing that I have Carl's support no matter what. When I went back to college to get my teaching degree, he cooked dinner for me every night. <laughs> that was a big deal. And when I've been traveling, and sometimes for multiple days, weeks at a time, he's never complained. He's always there to support me. And I want to be there to support him also. So we have a life of sharing, that we share each other's um, joys, we share each other's pains. And as I reflected back on our life together, I realized that we share a lot of other things. Beyond our shared faith that continues to grow, we've also had shared ministries. From the very beginning, we've always had something that we did together. Immediately, they threw us into a high school ministry, just hanging out with kids, and then college-age students, and then young adults, young marrieds, and then our individual Bible studies. We even, God's even graciously given us the same gifts, hospitality, teaching, leadership, and generosity. We have shared friends. We have shared joys and sorrows. But most importantly, people, we also share motorcycles now. <laughs> For the last 30-plus years, I have shared many miles on the back of his bike. Now that is truly God in action <laughs> and an amazing turnaround of events. So thank you for listening to us. Um, obviously, there's much more to be said, but um, we just thank you for this opportunity to share how God has been working in our lives. Praise Jesus. I knew that they were going to hit exactly where we are in this passage today. So praise the Lord. I'm going to call you back into your small groups one more time. Look at verses 8 and 9 and see how your hope in Christ is also future-oriented. The passage tells us that even though we have not yet seen Jesus... We, see, we know that he's here. If you are one who has trusted the promises of God for you in Christ, you know that he is here among us, right? I mean, let, is that true? Is Jesus here right now with us? Yes. Do you actually physically see him with your eyes? Yes. No. But we have this inexpressible and filled with glory knowledge. The illustration that came to me about this is, I don't remember when exactly it was, but I asked Eliana, she's now six and a half, I asked her one time, how do you know that Baba loves you? Of course she couldn't answer. 
But, but tell me, what are some ways a five and six year old can know that she is loved? Give me, give me a couple. Hugs, kisses. Cooking. Yeah. Oh, cookies, cookies. Yes, okay. Excellent. Jenny said breakfast earlier. What was, what was that? Time. That's right. But she's not going to be able to express all of this, is she? Why? She doesn't have the words to do so. Have you had the thought, I don't care how old you are in this room right now, you don't have the words. The words may not even exist for us to express the joy that is available to those who know that they know that they know that they trust the promises of God for them in Christ. And, and, you are growing in that. Imperfectly, right? I mean, sometimes we're doing this, sometimes we're going back up. Imperfectly. But Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, in this, we are growing. We are growing. And if we have that seed of faith, and that seed is growing, we know that we belong to him. And it's filled with glory. It's filled with glory. Now the example I want to give, because I know there's a couple of baseball fanatics around here. The, the example is, you love baseball. What do you do? What do you do? You watch baseball. You talk about baseball. What else do you do if you love baseball? You know the stats. That's right. Exactly. What else? If you love baseball, what, what, is, what is... You got the jerseys. What else? You what? You live baseball, right? And this is how you glory in baseball. You wear a Dodger jersey, for example. Giants, whatever. Yeah. We'll forgive you for coming from this Bay Area. It's okay. Everybody has their struggles, you know. How do you glory in Jesus? Yeah. Talk about him. You find out about him. You go to his word. You know the stats. Where's Jesus? Little cross. That's right. Now, listen. Listen. This is important. This is important. Because nobody loves him perfectly. Nobody loves him perfectly. But if you want to more perfectly love him, then go to him in his word. And, because we're in a marriage class, there could be a hundred different applications here, but I'm going to go with marriage. And, if you want to know more of this glory, if you want to know more of this inexpressible joy, love your spouse. But Jesus, it's so hard. I want to go ride my motorcycle. Actually, I just want a motorcycle, but I'm not allowed. <laughs> just easy. It's okay. Carl's my boss, and he told me I can come over and borrow his one sometime, so <laughs> then i got to have a helmet. <laughs> Get to know him better. Get to know him better, and you will therefore love him and trust him more. Hey, come with us on this journey. 
Come back the next three weeks. We're going to be right here. We're going to be talking about these things. And guess what? We are imperfect practitioners of the same thing that you are imperfect at. But we are going to join each other and we're going to love Jesus.